All right, before we do anything else, if you missed the first hour, um, please, 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 please go back and listen to it because uh, we are still, we have part 46 in our study of law and gospel. Very important principle put forth in that hour. Um, and all, I mean, I, I could say that for every episode of the series for law and gospel, how important they've all been. So please do that. But for this hour, we're not going to be looking at law and gospel. So that means you're not going to get the review from the previous hour. So, yeah, if you don't go back and listen, then you're not going to get the point. Okay, maybe next week you will. Uh, but and tonight, uh, we'll probably return to Law and Gospel uh, tonight. But for this morning, this is what's going to happen. For the next hour, Bible study exercise rules apply. And if you've listened to the Bible study exercise podcast series, you know that that is designed to do what? For you not to be the passive listener, but to be... An active participant. So you're going to be doing most of the work this morning. So I hope you're ready, okay? If you have Bible uh, dictionaries uh, nearby, you may need them. So make sure you have those ready to go if you need one. All right. If anybody needs one, let me know. I have some up here. We may need it if we get to this to the part. I don't know. I may change the way we do so. It depends on how well you're doing, I guess, really, is what it depends. All right. Now, for the Bible study exercise curriculum... We are in that transitional period, right, where we're about to begin a six to seven week study on the concept of discernment, which I've already introduced. We just finished up our seven week series on or six to seven week series on fear. So this week for the curriculum, they give us what they call a special focus and they have a direction they want to go. And I'm ignoring the curriculum. I'm just using the text that they gave us. And so for this week, they want us to look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139. So we're going to do that for the next hour, all right? Just to at least say that we completed it because you know if I see something, I can't like, I can't just skip it. I have to deal with it in some way, shape, or form. And I've been trying, do I, how do I work Psalm 139 this week? Because if you look at Psalm 139, if everybody looks at it, how many verses is in Psalm 139? 24. Now, you, we all know that if we are even, if I do what I typically would do, 24 verses would take us a very long time. A year probably would not even be out of the question, all right? But we're not going to take a year. We're going to try to take a sermon and see what we can do. But we're going to do the sermon as a Bible study exercise. This will be, feel more like, you know, I don't really care. I, to me, I don't care if it's called Sunday school. I don't care if it's called the sermon. I don't care about those titles. Makes no sense to me why we even get, create those titles. Because the goal is always to do what? To study the text. And, the, and, and you know what I think about sermons? I think in many cases, sermons does what? I think sermons in many cases actually keep people away from the text. Because what people want in a sermon is a well-designed speech. Look, I can do the speech. I've, I've taken speech class enough. I, I, I can give you the speech, right? You come up with your good introduction. You make sure you have the body of your speech and then a good conclusion. But that, that's, that's a performance, right? That's a performance. And when, when preaching becomes a performance, then what gets destroyed is the text. We become, we, we, we're obliterated from actually seeing the text. So we're, so I don't follow those rules in any way, shape, or form. We're going to, we're going to dive into the text and see what we can find. So Psalm 139 is where we're going to be, and hopefully you're ready. So here's what I want you to do, all right? Everybody ready? This doesn't always work great for the people listening online. I apologize, but you know, move to Texas and then everything will be good. Okay, right. Here we go. Everybody ready? You can, you can, I want you to work together. Everybody got a piece of paper or something to write with? Or you can use the your, your app on your phone to, for notes or whatever. I want you to start working together. You can start working together. Now, you're going to have to move quickly. I want you to come up with an outline for Psalm 139. All right? So I'll, we'll read it together. We'll read the whole psalm together. But I, as you're reading it, I, what do I want you to do? I want you to be thinking of outlines. Everybody ready? Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast known my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest me, thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. 
Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain, I cannot attain unto it. Whether shall I go from thy spirit or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which is a continuance, were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. Am I not grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. All right, there we go. All right, you can talk together, work together, just start working together, and come up with an outline. All right? Come up with an outline. All right, this is like chapter summary method basics, right? Right? Basic 101. For those who may not know, in this church, we have a rule. What's the number one rule in outlining? No interpretation allowed. If your outline has an interpretation, what happens? You have to stand up in front of the whole church and be humiliated. No, I'm, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. All right. Why, why is an outline never to contain interpretation? Outline is observational because you can't interpret until you have observed. Y'all know this stuff so good. All right. Talk together, work together. I mean it. Just talk, work together. I just have to keep talking for the people online because they'll be like, it's just silent. So I just have to keep talking. They can't hear what you're saying, all right? But y'all keep working. Don't work together. Talk together. Break up into groups. Walk around the church. I don't care what you do. Lay on the floor, whatever. Okay? All right, good. There you go. Robert's talking to the goodlets. That's good. All right. Now that's good. I, that's what I want. And trust me, there's not agreement on how this should be outlined. Talk together. Whoever has the best outline gets $100. I'm joking. I'm joking. For those listening online, you can post it in the Spreaker app if you would like your outline. Or I can check the Discord channel. We will see. <laughs> we'll, we'll see who does outlining all the time and who is new to the concept. Yeah. What'd you say? Oh, you're new to it. Okay. I outline everything. If I'm in a drive-thru ordering food, I'm going to outline it. I talk in outlines, if you've ever heard me talk. I'm like, number one, number two, I outline everything. See what you come up with. Stephen is just doing it all solo. He's like, I don't need anybody. I got this. Anybody, uh, uh, what, uh, so, someone who's good at outlining, what are some basic tips in outlining? What do you think you look for? What do you do? Okay, 
So, what did you say? Common concepts. Look at that. Look at that. Austin over there killing it right there. There's good. Common concepts. Common words. Okay, maybe. Okay. Common concepts. I like the common concepts idea. Key points. Okay. I'll throw out an idea. If you were to summarize the psalm, right? If you were to summarize the psalm, what do you think the main emphasis here in the psalm is? Oh, okay. All right. No, that's good. Everyone is saying that God is the key concept here, right? At least clearly at the beginning, right? All right. Now, find what are the group the verses together that give a specific idea about God, right? Because I think there's specific things mentioned about God here. Now, the argument is, is there one or is there three? Is there one or three? Is it just one main concept spoken of about God? Or are there three? And now the end of the psalm switches from about God to something. But that, that will, will, the last part, you can, if you don't get the last part, that's okay. I want you to focus on the part about God. Is it giving us one main concept or three concepts about God? Okay. Okay. That's good. I'm hearing. I'm hearing. I'm hearing some some going in the right direction, or at least I think so. I'm drinking this expired water. Yeah. <laughs> well, it has an ex- expiration date. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. If I drop down and start flopping around, you know, uh oh, the water it was bad. Okay. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of that, okay? You're like, I didn't come to church and have to do work. Let's come to listen. All right, what do you got? Do you, do you have it, Stephen? How many, how many points do you have? Ooh, Stephen's got a five-point outline. He, he went, he's not a Baptist, obviously. Okay, five-point outline, all right? Uh, everyone's looking to Sarah for the answer. I don't know why. <laughs> Sarah's like, she's like, leave me alone. Yeah, every, she, Diane's like, I don't care that Stephen has five points. <laughs> Sarah, what do you have? <laughs> Stephen, nobody even listened to Stephen's. All right. Just because she learned it all from you, Stephen. Okay, anybody else? How many points do people have? What are we, what are we uh, what's the common idea here? What do we have? All right, we have two points? Okay, all right, all right. I, just, I hear a number. I'm going to use it. What do we have? Oh, Emma's got four. Okay. I, I like the four idea. That's what I would come up with. So, there you go. I, I like the four-point idea. It's the last point that I don't know what to do with. I know where to group it, but I don't know what to do with it. But I'd be curious what your three points are. Okay. And I'm curious where Stephen comes up with a fifth one. That's, that's curious to me. All right. But all right. So we got a four-point outline, a five-point outline. All right. Oh, Miss Goodlett's over there laying down the law. She's like, listen to me, men. This is the way it's going to be. All right. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Sarah, what you got? Oh, four. Okay, we got two with four. One with five. Oh, okay. What is that? Now, I hear certain phrases. I'm like, okay, I think I, they're going in a good direction. I like that. Okay, that's interesting. Hey, what, did the Pierces have anything? What do we have? Oh, we got four. A lot of people going with the four points. All right. I'd be interested to know. Okay. 
right? Stephen's the only one who's got five. I'm really interested in how he got five. <coughs> what do? Hey, hey, he's got three. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. I got 24 points. There's 24 verses. <laughs> That's good. That's how you have to outline Proverbs, right? Okay. All right. Now, I don't want this to lead to marital disputes over there, okay? Okay. All of a sudden, divorce rate goes up by 100% because of the, of the sermon. You made us start fighting with each other. Oh, wait, we got the teenagers are involved. I like this. I like this. Oh, hey, you know, that's okay. By any means necessary, okay? We'll, we'll use that philosophy. We'll, we'll go Malcolm X philosophy here. All right. Okay, so both of y'all have four? Or did you have more or less? Or you're still figuring it out? Okay, Bobby's still working on it, okay? All right. So what do you got, Mary? You just see two points. Oh, interesting. Okay. Mary's got it broken down to two. That's, I'm going to really like to see how that's grouped. That's, that's fine. Uh, there's a, I think Matthew Henry kind of goes with your concept, I think. I think he has it too. I think, well, d- depends on how you view. <laughs> Hang on. Um, I, I think, I, let me verify. No, he has, it, he has uh, three. He has three major points with uh, multiple subpoints. Okay. But I, I'm not asking you for the subpoints because that, so for a simple outline, you just group everything into major points. And a more complicated one, you, did you do subpoints, Stephen, or just major points? Uh, major points. Anybody do subpoints? No? Okay, good, good. I, I don't want you to have to try to do subpoints. Oh, oh, we have a possible three coming now, all right. Um, Sarah, I'll ask you this. Do you think this psalm is broken into stanzas? I figured that kind of the direction you would go. Because some believe it's broken into a certain number of stanzas, and then that's how they outline it, based off those stanzas. And three of the stanzas are basically about God. And the fourth one, uh, just, just throwing out the idea, just throwing out the idea. All right, how, how is... Oh, we have five. Okay, interesting. He may be wrong about Okay, we have two five. All right, that's good. We have two five-point outlines, a couple of four-point outlines, a two-point outline, or three. Now we've added a third. Okay, good. I haven't written down mine. All right, what do we got? How's the Goodlets and Robert doing over here? Oh, we have four points. All right, okay, there's four, a lot of the four points. Okay. All right, everybody Ready? Okay, we'll work, and we'll work through this together, okay? If there's disagreement, that's okay. Just know that I'm right and you're wrong. Okay, no, I'm joking. Okay, I'm joking. All right, all right. All right I'm, since Stephen was the first done, and since he has five points, I'm super interested in his, okay? Now, just everyone know that, hey, this is not about... Just, just know that when it comes to outlining, where is the struggle in outlining? What do you think the struggle is? Oh, well, for you personally, what do what do you str- like? If you don't outline all the time, it's hard. Do what? Okay, that well, that, there's a there there is a little bit of interpreting that can happen, right? Why is there? What what's the? Where does interpretation and outlining? Where does the? It kind of sometimes they kind of meet. In what way do they meet? 
Because you're trying to group concepts together, right? So you have to interpret what the concept is and if all the verses fit that particular concept. So there's a little bit of interpretation that happens there, right? However, you want to keep it as much out of it as possible. You just want to observe. If you don't do outlining all the time, well, then it can be, you're not as maybe as ready to do the observation. But let me just state that I cannot stress this enough. If you're ever going to try to offer an interpretation on a chat, like if you ever come to me, and you know I'm going to do this. If you come to me and try to say, hey, I think this verse means this, what am I almost immediately going to say to you? Have you outlined a chapter? Okay. <laughs> Because if you haven't done your observation, I don't want to hear your interpretation. Because, because we, we'll just start having an, argu- an argument about interpretation. But the, what do we have to establish? We have to establish the observation because in many cases, if we do the work on observation, what does that eliminate? Sometimes it eliminates possible interpretations. So that's why, observa- that's why outlining is so, so very important. So very important is you've got to make sure you've observed the text correctly. All right, so, so in doing this, listen, it's not, we're, there's going to be disagreement. That's, that, it's, it's okay, all right? But I, the only thing I will point out, if I feel like that you have an interpretation, I may point that out. Is that cool? All right, good. All right, here we go. All right, Stephen, five points. What was your first point in your outline? First, what verses did you group together for point number one? Well, I will admit that verses one through 16 are similar, but I divided those into three. Okay, so verses one through 16. Okay, wait, I kind of... Okay, hang on, hang on. Oh, you grouped one through 16. Interesting. Oh, it's possible. Okay. All right, so, so I'm, now tell me if I, if I say, if I, I, a lot of times I will rephrase your outlines, right? And I only rephrase it because I'm curious to see if, if what I'm thinking you're saying is true. So when I rephrase it, that's why I'm rephrasing it. Okay, so you focused verses one through four. Tell me if, I, if this is accept, acceptable to say on God's knowledge. Yes, knowing. On knowing, okay, all right. So he put verses one through four, we're focused on God's knowing. Everybody see that? All right, that's, so point number one, I'm just going to put God's knowing. All right, what's another word for God knowing? Omniscience. Oh, very good. Okay, just keep that, keep that down. You may want to write down the word omniscience. Just write it down to the side somewhere. Okay, oh, <laughs> yeah. Emma knows where I'm going. Are you sure you know? Okay, you might? Okay, all right. All right, see, you can tell the people who pay attention in church. Okay, now, all right, all right here we go. All right, then what's next? Okay, so you have God knowing, and you have God seeing. He put 5 through 12 as God seeing. Interesting. Okay, that's interesting. Knowing and seeing. Now, I'm just, I just a question. Does people perceive God knowing and seeing as the same or different? I'm just curious how, what, how y'all would do this. Do y'all see God knowing and God seeing as the same or different? Oh, y'all see different. Okay, oh, so see, we have a disagreement here. I like this. All right, so Stephen and Diane see God knowing and seeing as something separate. Bobby, Mary, sees them as the same. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, now, see, that's what I was kind of hoping for. Okay, good. See, Emma knows exactly where I'm going here. Okay. All right. All right. So let's. So what we'll say that Stephen says God knowing is verses one through four, and then six through twelve. You said five through twelve is God seeing. All right. Next. Uh huh. I said thirteen through sixteen. All right. So thirteen through sixteen creation. God is creator. All right. God is creator. Is there is there another word we could use to describe God as creator? Does that describe power? Omnipotent. Omnipotent. All right? So we clearly have omniscience and omnipotence, right? Now, the seeing is kind of throwing me off, but okay. All right? Diane changed the seeing to present. That would be um, 
omnipresent. Oh, okay. I think, I think we have something developing here. Okay. And then how many points do you have? That. Uh, that's, uh, the next point I said was verses 17 through 22. Okay. I said God's righteous thoughts and ways. Hmm. 17 to 22, God's righteous ways. This would be God's holiness. Okay, possibly. Okay. All right. That's good. I, I, I don't know if I would have went that direction. And then the last two verses. Search me, God. Okay. All right. Five points. Interesting. All right. And so your five points are, just to make sure we go through these, God knowing, God seeing, God creating, g- righteousness, God searching. Okay. All right. All right. That, that's interesting. There's the five points. All right. Who, uh, Sarah, what did you have? You have four points. What do you have? Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. I I, I want. I, I was hoping everyone was going to say, "What do I do with this last section?" Okay. Good, because that's how I feel. All right. Point number one. God knows my ways. God knows my ways. Versus what? Uh, one through six. One. Th- she has one through six as God's knowing. All right. So let's do. Let's let's play a little game, right? Quick. All right. Everybody, look at one through one through six. Okay. Let's go one through six. Tell me if there's a switch at some point after six or before six that goes from knowing to presence. Okay, so do we agree that seven changes from knowing to presence? Okay, that's where you came up with it? Okay, good. Okay, that's good. All right, good, good, all right. Does everybody see that? Come passest. Okay. Okay. All right. Good. All right. So you have number one from verses one through six as God's knowing. Agreed. Starting in seven to what? Seven to twelve. You have as God's. Oh, so you still went with knowing. So you broke the knowing into two different categories. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you went from verse 1 to what? And then the third? So she went from 1 to 18, all about God. So she literally, she could have had God's knowledge or God's omniscience, and then she broke it into three subpoints. Right? Would that be fair? Okay, interesting. Okay, all dealt with God's knowledge. Okay, all right. So there's a lot of emphasis on knowledge here, what God knows. Okay, Emma, what did you do? Um, I said verses 1 through 6, God's knowledge. Verses 7 through 13, God's presence. Okay. I said 14 through 22 is thinking God's word. Okay. Um, and then 23 and 24, I said God's assignment of creation. All right, okay. So, she, but she separated knowledge and presence. All right. So a lot of you have grouped knowledge together. She's separated two. All right. Anybody else? What else do we have? Mary, did you want to share yours or no? If you don't want to, that's fine. Okay. I won't put you on the spot only because you're new. After after a certain period of time, you don't get a choice. <laughs> okay. I know, but I still, you know, don't want to look. I don't want to lose anybody. Okay. Right. After enough time, it's like it doesn't matter. Okay. You're stuck. Okay. You checked in. You can't ever check out. Okay. All right, what did y'all have? Well, we pretty much is everyone is agreeing on the knowledge part. One through four. Okay, yeah, everyone's does. I think everyone's in agreement that one through four is definitely focused on knowledge, right? Some add verse five and six. I, uh, me and Emma obviously change. Uh, we, we think there's a difference, but okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Huh, interesting. Okay, I t- took this kind of an interesting direction. I'm going to give you some different uh, commentaries here and just see what they do here. And then I'm going to throw out my own thoughts here. Everybody ready? Okay, we're going to run out of time, but that's okay. All right, here we go. Just a couple of things about Psalm 139, all right? According to Matthew Henry, many Jewish scholars 
are of the opinion that this is the most excellent of all the Psalms of David. That this is the it. This is the most excellent one. All right? And that it is a very pious and devout meditation. It is upon the doctrine of God. So this is what Matthew Henry says. That the whole chapter is upon the doctrine of God's omniscience. They see the whole chapter about God's omniscience. That's how Matthew Henry approaches it. Sarah kind of approached it that way, right? Stephen kind of, and I think a lot of you did, right? Where me and Emma, clearly we, have, we are in a different opinion here. We're a strong different opinion, all right? So we'll see why me and Emma are right and all of you are wrong in a minute, okay? But, okay, I'm joking, okay? This is how Matthew Henry breaks it down. Everybody ready? Number one. This doctrine is here asserted and fully laid down, verses 1 through 6. He says, this lays down the doctrine. And the doctrine of what? Omniscience. All right? Number two, it is confirmed by two arguments. He says, the second major point is that this doctrine is confirmed by making two arguments. This is how Matthew Henry does it. Now, you can immediately see he's going very interpretive in his outlining. Very interpretive, all right? Here are the two arguments. God is everywhere present, therefore he knows all. So, Emma, Matthew Henry tells us that God's omnipresence is based off his omniscience, which really baffles me. Hey, the reason he knows everything is because he's present everywhere. But I believe those are two different attributes. That's my take. That's my take. So I think that's interesting. He goes on his second. He made us, therefore he knows us. So he takes the fact that verses 13 through 16, speaking of creation, is the reason he knows you is because he made you, which he connects it back to his omniscience, which is kind of interesting. Then his third main point is some inferences are drawn from this doctrine. In other words, because this is true of God's omniscience, here are some things we can infer from it. And then he breaks down the different things we can infer from it. Number one, it may fill us with pleasing admiration of God. It should, uh, it should fill us with a holy dread and, des- and, and hatred of sin and sinners. And it should fill us with a holy satisfaction in our own integrity concerning which we may appeal to God. Mm, There's a lot here I I don't know. Uh, We we could take his apart and have all kinds of discussions here. Now, another breaks it down this way. The psalm falls into four stanzas. That's why I asked Sarah if she saw it as four stanzas. Do you think that's an accurate statement or would you disagree with that? Okay. Would begin and end? Okay, all right. They believe it's broken into four stanzas. All right? Now, some of your Bibles, does it break it down into different sections? Okay, the NIV does. How many? Okay, all right, all right. Sometimes your Bibles will kind of break it down into stanzas. Some don't, all right? If it kind of breaks it into stanzas, it would be interesting to see. The first three stanzas deal with different attributes of God. Ooh, did you hear that? Three attributes of God. Now, I want everyone to look from verses 1 to 18. I want you to go from verses 1 through 18. You can look at it for yourself. See if you can identify three attributes of God in verses 1 to 18. I feel like we're in theology 101 class here, right? It's kind of a hermeneutics class mixed with a theology class. Three attributes. Yes, that's what I wanted to see. But I want you to see it. I don't want you to just go with what I'm saying. Or what Emma is saying. Because even though me and Emma are right, we want y'all to see it for yourself. Because we're gracious that way, right? And we're, we're humble, too. <laughs> I am, okay. All right, so let's go through this. Where, what's the first attribute that we all can agree on? Okay, let's use the theological terms. Omniscience. Omniscience. 
omniscience. Everybody see omniscience? Everybody grab a Bible dictionary really quick. Look up omniscience in the Bible dictionary. We've got to try to wrap this up in 15 minutes, boy. If you find the page number for where omniscience is listed in the Bible dictionary, you're going to see the other attributes are listed right with it. 925. 925. Oh, you see them all listed together? Okay, very good. 925. Right, everybody got it? Okay. Everybody ready? All right, omniscience. Someone look at the de- definition. Everybody, everybody look at the definition and summarize the simple, ex- or simple definition of omniscience. Okay. God's superior knowledge. Does it define what that superior knowledge is like? He knows what? All things. God's omniscience is that God knows all things at all times. Right? Please remember, the only omniscience, the only omniscient being there is, is not you, it's God. You do not know all things. None of you know all things. We act like we know all things, but we don't. God knows all things. Now, why is that significant? What is the theological implications of God knowing all things? Well, if he knows all things, it means, and, and, and look, it's not always philosophically pleasing, right? Because when I read Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created, he knows what's about to happen. He wasn't sitting there on a Tuesday going, whoa, 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 who just ate, the t- ate from the tree? Wait, what just happened? Oh, no. Oh, no, that woman messed everything up. I knew I shouldn't have created a woman. I mean, come on, what was she thinking? He didn't need a plan B or a plan C. He knew before he created. That, that lay, leads to some philosophical problems in my brain. No, but he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Now, go back to Psalm 139. Oh, they, yeah, they, yeah, they're going to use it in the, in the dictionary. I think for all the ones. All right, so let's go over here. So what does, in this, we know God is knowing of all things. Let's go through Psalm 139, and let's look at what God knows. Everybody ready? Oh, Lord, thou hast searched me, and... All right, so the first thing he knows is what? Us. I don't know about you. That makes me really nervous. Okay, am I the only one? Okay, look, look you can get, we all can come to church and make everyone think certain things about us, but God knows the real us, okay? And the real us is not so good, all right? Agreed? Okay, all right. All right. So he knows us. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understand my thoughts afar off. He knows, so no, not only does he know me, what does he know? He knows what I am doing. Oh, and this is really frightening. And what I'm thinking, oh boy. Oh, that's, that's concerning. How does the NIV translate verse 3? There we go. He knows my path. He knows when I'm lying down. He knows all the ways that I'm going. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows where I'm going. He knows what I'm doing. He, I think this goes beyond just our physical direction, but even our motivations, which is even more concerning. Yes? For there's not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. He knows every word you're even going to, every word you're going to say ever. Every thought you're ever going to think and every word you're ever going to say. Verse 5, thou hast been behind me and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. So, verses 1 through 6 is all about what? God's omniscience. And what's the end result of that discussion? In verse 6. 
humbles us. It should humble us. It should constantly remind us of what we don't know. We have, we have a tendency not to react that way, do we? I don't know about your personality, but what do you do when you come in contact with someone who just seems to know so much? Okay. What do we have a tendency to do? All right, someone say walk away. Emma says annoying. Okay, right. Emma hates know-it-alls, okay? She doesn't like it. Or what else do we have a tendency to do? argue with them. That's an int- that's, that's a woman's answer right there. Right? Okay, that's a woman's Like, how dare you think you know more than me? Okay, okay I'm going to tell you what I know. Okay, it may not be about much, but I'm going to tell you. Right? Do we have a tendency to do, why do we do that? Why do we do that? Okay. That, what, what, what is it about us? They're like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You think you know so much. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find some way to disagree with you. Why? why, why, why? Because it's somehow, we don't want to be in the presence of someone who knows more than us, so we try to establish our own knowledge and our own expertise, and, and which, in a roundabout way, that's kind of crazy that we do that. What should we do? We should be humbled and listen. Do, do we do that? Basically, we, this is what we, our entire lives, you know what we act like? Teenagers. No, teenagers. As soon as you're a parent and you start telling a teenager anything, right? You tell a teenager anything. Like, hey, there's a lion outside and he's going to, whatever, right? Roll the eyes. Yeah, like, like it doesn't matter what you tell them. You can say, look, look, I lost an arm. They're like, whatever. They, it doesn't matter what you tell them, right? They, they, you can just see, you're talking and, it, and it's like, and you're like, hello, hello, right? Like when we went to Dallas, I was trying to talk to Eli. He's just like, oh, whatever. I'm like, I'm trying to tell you important things. He didn't care. He just—he didn't listen to a thing I said. He was like, "I can't hear you. I got AirPods on. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Whatever." He didn't care, even though I could have been giving him very important information. He didn't listen to me. Right? Wait, there's something inside of us that when we are confronted with something greater than us, we want to destroy that which is greater than us to build us up. Right? That's like if I'm playing basketball and I'm getting beat by the adults, I'm going to go find some little kids and it's not, knock the ball down and say, I'm better than you, right? It makes me feel better, right? Oh, come on, I'm not, you're not. We all do that, right? Okay, <laughs> Eli knows, right? He'll grab his sisters. Boom, say, I'm better than you, right? Okay. Yes? We have a tendency. So God's omniscience should do what? Should humble us. But we all walk around like we know more than God, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like God's not listening to me. Because I've got a lot of information to share. Right? We all want the job, but we just don't want the responsibility, right? Okay. Right. Now, verse 1 through 6. So everyone agrees that's about omnis- uh, yeah, omniscience? Now what happens in verse 7? Whether I shall go from thy spirit or whether I shall flee from, and it literally gives you the word presence. So verses 7 through 12 is his omnipresence. Look up omnipresence right there in the dictionary. It's on the same page. What is omnipresence? Everywhere at all times. God is present everywhere at all times. Now, what do we have a tendency to do with this? Here's what I want you to see. Whenever we're confronted with that is greater than us, we always have a tendency to want to take that and bring it down to our level to show some form of superiority to it because of our own pride. Our pride does not like to be confronted with something better than it. Agreed? 
So what do we do with God's omnipresence? We convince ourselves that we can do what? Hide from God. We all know a famous biblical story about it, right? Hey, Jonah, need you to go somewhere. <laughs> Packing my bags. He's going the, I'm going the opposite direction. How did that work out? Did God, did God need a search party? Knew exactly where he was. Exactly where he was. Now, this section about God's omnipresence, where do you think it goes down to? Verse 12, we'll go with verse 12. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. What does verse 12 end with? Kind of an realization of God's, an acceptance of God's omnipresence. And what is it, basically, what's his acceptance? I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how light it is. The both are what? The same to God. In other words, he is acknowledging what? He can't hide from God. God sees everything. So, we have two, we've broken the, the, the chapter down into two parts. Number one is God's omniscience. It goes from verse 1 to 6. Starting in verse 7, the word presence is actually used. So therefore, I'm not making it up, right? And it deals with God being omnipresent. And it ends with an acceptance. The, the first attribute is ended with an acknowledgement, right? Hey, I, I'll never understand, I'll never have this knowledge. And the second attribute is ended with an acknowledgement that no matter what, God sees everything. Because he, or God's present everywhere, I should say. In other words, he can perceive everything because he's present everywhere. Yes? Right? So we have God's, everybody use the theological terms with me. Omniscience, verses 1 through 6. Second, omnipresent, verses 7 through 12. Now, let me make it very clear. God's omniscience and God's omnipresence leads to major philosophical trouble. It causes me to have problems. Because if he knows everything and he's present everywhere, then why do certain things happen? Does that ever bother you? which then acknowledges somehow sometimes things we don't like are part of God's will, which leads to all kinds of philosophical problems, but okay, all right? Now, what happens in verse 13? All right, someone used the word omnipotence. Okay, what is the word omnipotence? Look it up in the dictionary again. All-powerful, all-powerful. Now, how is his power seen in verses 13 to... Where do we think it stops? Well, let's look at it. Starting in verse 13. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and... and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being imperfect, and thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, how great is the sum of them. And then, verse 18, if I should count them, there are more in number than the sand. When I wake, I am still with thee. Now, I know some of the other attributes are kind of mixed in with that. You can see some of them, right? See God's thoughts, right? God is with me. You can kind of see some of the other attributes, but where does his omnipotence show up in these verses? Where do you see his power? In creation. Now, this still leads me to all kinds of problems, right? Because if God is omnipotent involved in the, the giving of life, I don't know, I've got some serious questions on how that all plays out as well, right? For all the positive things that we derive from these attributes, there are major troubling things we struggle with these attributes. Or at least I do. Right? God is all-powerful. Now, that leads us where? That last section. 19 to 24. Now, what do we do with 19 to 24? This is the only thing we have to answer. What do you think? Did 
Yeah, this is a hard section. Uh, Emma, do, this is where you had problems? Yeah. I think, Sarah, you even acknowledged you had trouble here. Right? Some of you broke that last section into two parts. Right? Let's read the verses and see what we find here. All right? Surely thou will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. Now, immediately, don't you feel a change? Right? All of a sudden, if, instead of just, it, it just feels like there's a change here in tone, right? Talking about how wonderful God is and all of this power and knowledge, all of a sudden it's like, boom, okay, now he's going to judge. Now, this is how some understand it. That the three attributes that are articulated before, right? What are the three attributes? Omniscience, omnipresence. And omnipotence, right? Just make sure you know these. These are basic attributes. When you, when you get a degree in theology, you study the attributes of God. There are two kinds of attributes. What are they? Communicable, non-communicable. What do we mean by communicable and non-communicable? Those that are easily communicated to us and those that... Yeah, we, or, or when we say communicated, in other words, we see, we can perceive, and others are just not communicated in an intangible way. Does that make sense? All right. So we could we could break that all down. So a lot of people what they do what they think happens here is that the end of the psalm is the natural result of these three truths. Because of these, this is the result. If God is all-knowing, if God is present everywhere at all times, and if God is all-powerful, the natural result of that will be, what's the next verse? Judge. Judgment will occur. Why will judgment occur? Well, he's powerful enough to do it. He has the knowledge of what is real, and he's been present to see it. So judgment flows from it. We could say this, wherever God, whenever, wherever God knows, wherever God is present, judgment always follows because he has the power to carry it out. And so what happens here? He will slay the wicked. O God, depart from me, therefore ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take my name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not, am I, am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Now this becomes very troubling in how to understand this. Right? Okay? It sounds a little like, whoa, David, you're saying some really strong words. I think, and I'll just throw this out there as a hypothesis. If we see and understand as God sees and understands, which is never perfectly, right? But we know this. If we study God, we know that God clearly sees and perceives and declares what truth about all people. All people are wicked. Therefore, we should see the wickedness as God sees the wickedness, not based on what we feel. Now, the only problem I have... Now, I think David kind of corrects this because if David was honest with himself... Now, remember, when we're reading the Psalms, what kind of literature are we reading? Right, we're reading poetry, right? So he expresses things in kind of a very emotional way. So what he's doing is like, okay, I know God sees all of this, and therefore I see and I feel the same way. Now, what we would hope he would do is do what? What we always hope is he would be like, Woe is me. <laughs> right? Woe is me. Because if at this point, David should know who's a wicked man. I'm a wicked man. Who should be slain? I mean, because clearly David should be slain, right? The Old Testament establishes if I take someone else's life, my life should be taken. David had taken someone's life. Okay, right? So, isn't it amazing how he doesn't see that? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, that's why I don't, I don't necessarily like these words, 
But I, under, I understand what, he's try, what is he trying to express. Is that because God is all-knowing, because God is present everywhere, I need to see life through which perspective? Through God's perspective, which will make me see the wickedness and hate the wickedness as God hates the wickedness. But that should lead me to hate my own sin, which he, it doesn't seem to happen here. And, but what does he do in verse 23 and 24? Isn't it interesting that verse 23 and 24, he seems to acknowledge, well, wait a minute. <laughs> yes, I hate all of this other wickedness, but God, it's almost an acknowledgement. I know he's praying for it, but he's already established God already knows it. He doesn't have to search for it. So what is he saying here in the last two verses? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What he's realizing is he just spoke about the wickedness and evil of other people. But he realizes that God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence also applies to whom? Himself. Himself. Now, so in our thinking, what what should be the controlling or guiding principle in our thinking? God's knowledge, God's presence, and God's power should change my perception and how I see things. But it should also change how I perceive myself. And the minute I know God is all-knowing and present everywhere and all-powerful, what should that lead for me? Acknowledgement that I don't know Okay, that I am not present everywhere, and that means there's nowhere I can hide, and that God is all-powerful, which should lead me to say, Lord, I'm not even going to pretend here. Search and know me, and we know what he's going to find. Right. And I'm just grouping it that I think all of that is the outworking of this. Theology should always lead to what? Practical change in our thinking. Remember, if we go back in time, what were the two great academic pursuits? Theology and philosophy. Theology and those were the two great... All other academic pursuits flowed from these two, right? Because theology gives us ultimate reality, Right? Reality flows from a right understanding of God. A wrong understanding of God, you have a wrong understanding of reality. So what's the right perception of reality? There is a God who knows all things, present everywhere, and all-powerful. All Immediately makes me realize I don't know all things. I cl- clearly can't hide from God, and clearly he has more power over me than I have over him. That, cha- that fixes your reality, right? And then why philosophy? Philosophy is about now perceiving and asking questions about the world and understanding the world, but we do so in light of what? Theology. So here at the end, he tries to basically put forth a philosophy about life based off the theology. Does that make sense? So because of those three, today I just want, I will just end with this. I want you to remember those three attributes and use the theological term. I want you to know the theological term, not because we want to sound smart, just because we want to know the terms, right? Omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. What should those three truths, how should they impact your thinking and your perception of reality? Because that is the ultimate reality. All right, we'll have to stop there. There you go. We worked through Psalm 139. And so who was right? I'm just joking. No, me and, me and Emma was right. Okay, all right? No, no, I'm joking. That's the way we would outline it. Okay? Right? And we, we, we uh, the only thing I think we probably disagreed with was the last part. But we agreed that those uh, attributes were present. But I hopefully, and you can go back and read it and have a discussion on the way home about it. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Being confronted with the reality of who you are, should make it more obvious of what we are and what we need to do in our change in thinking. 
We are confronted with a power that's far greater than us, and sometimes our sinful nature wants to pull you down to our level instead of acknowledging it and being humbled by it. And I pray we would be humbled by it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.